It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 357 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Immortal Forever. It is April 29, 2022, and this is Jen. And I have a lot of stuff to talk about this time around. Um, I was quite surprised which, with how much news has popped up since the last episode. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I've got an article here from The Verge that was posted today, April 29, and uh, it's titled Activision Blizzard Again accused of threatening employees for speaking out. The little blurb says employees were allegedly threatened for discussing a lawsuit against the company. It's written by Mitchell Clark. So here's from the article. It's pretty short. Activision Blizzard is facing another complaint to the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, that it's trying to keep employees from talking about their working conditions, despite their legally protected rights to do so. The Communication Workers of America, that's CWA, has filed an unfair labor charge against the company, alleging that it told workers, quote, they could not discuss issues related to the sexual harassment and discrimination lawsuit filed by the state of California against the company, end quote, according to a press release from the union, from CWA. I should probably look that up, but I haven't. According to the complaint, oh, hey, there's a complaint. We got a link right here. I'll grab that for you. And Safari won't open the page, so I won't. Okay. According to the complaint, an employee was threatened by a manager after posting an article about the lawsuit in Slack and discussing holding Activision Blizzard accountable with other co-workers. According to former Blizzard senior test analyst Jessica Gonzalez, who is now Tech Jess on Twitter and has been for a while, who is cited in the CWA's press release, the company has a, quote, pattern of retaliation against workers who speak out. End quote, which has only gotten stronger as the company faces further legal challenges and complaints. Um, in July, California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing sued the company. We already know that. Uh, there's been a flurry of other settlements and other lawsuits. We know that. We know um, uh, a scandal, the scandal with uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom accused of meddling with the state's suit. There's that. Um, and it also says this isn't the first time the CWA has made claims about Activision Blizzard flaunting employees' rights. And there's, you know, another, like, talking about union busting and stuff like that. So what I'm going to do real quick here is uh, get on Twitter and look for the CWA so I can see what they actually said. Because you, you can't really take it from, you know, news sites. you got to, like, actually look for the source. Okay, it's too hard to find it on their Twitter account, so I'm just going to skip that entirely. But if you feel the need to look it up, you can. But that's what's going on. People are talking about problems in the company and they're getting told to shut up basically which is never good when you're the company being sued we do have some other unionization stuff from the ap this one's on uh, abc7.com because a lot of news sites as you probably know tend to share articles with each other they've got some kind of deal in place so it's originally from the ap 
This one's titled, Activision Blizzard Workers in Wisconsin Okayed for Union Vote. This was on April 25th. The unionization campaign by 21 employees has been part of a broader internal shakeup at the Santa Monica-based company. Um, and this is in Wisconsin. So a small group of Wisconsin-based video game workers can vote to form what could be the first union at a major U.S. video game publisher, a labor board official ruled. A regional director at the National Labor Relations Board on Friday ordered a May election for quality assurance workers at Activision Blizzard's Raven Software, which develops the popular Call of Duty game franchise. The unionization campaign by 21 employees at Raven's office in Middleton, Wisconsin has been a part of a broader internal shakeup at Activision Blizzard. We kind of know about that. Uh, the company has come under fire from the government and some shareholders and has recently settled a federal civil rights lawsuit over allegations that management ignored sexual harassment and workplace discrimination against female employees. Um, that talks about the Microsoft thing, which we already know about. Friday's decision by Jennifer Hasdell, a regional NLRB director in Minneapolis, rejected Activision's push to have the election encompass a wider category of Raven workers, which could have diluted the unionizing group's vote. Activision Blizzard earlier in April said it would be converting nearly 1,100 part-time quality assurance jobs into full-time workers and raising their hourly wages to at least $20. So there's that. The Washington Press has more to say about that, and that was written on April 22nd. Their article's titled, NLRB Ruling Gives Green Light to Raven Software Union Vote. So they're going to at least get that vote, that's for sure. I'll read you a little bit here. In a Friday decision, the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, ruled that a group of 21 quality assurance workers at Raven Software is eligible to participate in a union election. In late January, that group of workers filed a petition with the NLRB for a union election after parent company Activision Blizzard missed a deadline set by the group to voluntarily recognize the nascent union named the Game Workers Alliance. Activision Blizzard contested the filing, arguing that any union at the Wisconsin-based Raven would have to encompass all of the studio's approximately 230 employees, a far broader, broader swath of workers than just the quality assurance team. The NLRB's decision rejected that argument, finding that the set of quality assurance testers was an appropriate bargaining unit. The NLRB will mail out ballots to eligible employees, full-time and part-time QA workers at Raven, who were working at the company during the pay period that ended on April 16 through April 29. So that's today, the 29th. Voters in that group must return their ballots by close of business May 20th. The ballot count will take place via video conference on May 23rd. In an email to staff, Raven studio head Brian Raffle wrote that the company would host a town hall sometime next week to discuss the NLRB's decisions and next, next steps. Activision Blizzard said in a statement it would review further legal options, including a potential appeal. Quote, while we respect the NLRB process, we are disappointed that a decision that could significantly impact the future of our entire studio will be made by fewer than 10% of our employees, wrote Activision Blizzard spokesperson Rich George, who I've never heard of, in a statement to the Post. Quote, we believe a direct relationship with team members is the best path to achieving individual and company goals. This is a nice way of trying to sneak by that you're union busting. That's what this is. If the workers could get what they needed from, you know, working with team members and company goals, they wouldn't need to have a union. They're getting a union because the people in charge at Blizzard and Activision don't want these people to have what they should have in a workplace. That's what that is. So 
they put out a statement, but that doesn't mean you have to believe it. Raven Quality Assurance Testers released a joint statement on Friday saying we are pleased that after reviewing the evidence, the National Labor Relations Board rejected Raven Software Management's attempts to undermine our efforts to form a union. It's now time for Raven Management to stop trying to prevent us from exercising our rights. We are looking forward to voting and winning our union. And that's fantastic. They should get this. You know, and it talks about that they the background on this where there's been walkouts and, and all that kind of thing but that's a good thing there's a um i think they'll get it they've been pushing very hard for a union they've been allowed to bypass activision blizzard's attempts to push more people into the voting pool so as to dilute it and make it so that raven workers who deserve a union won't get it um i think they're gonna do it i think they're gonna get what they need and i i hope they do because at this point once you're at the point where you're voting if enough votes happen, you have a union. The Verge, again, has an article on about the same thing, so you can pick whichever one you want. Um, they have the quote from Rich George, who I've never heard of, in there. And uh, they got a couple of paragraphs here that are pretty interesting. This is a watershed moment for these QA employees who started the journey toward unionization back in December 2021. After a round of layoffs hit the Activision Blizzard subsidiary studio, workers waged a walkout that became a sustained strike, lasting five weeks. At the end of the strike, workers formally organized the Game Workers Alliance, the first union in one of North America's biggest game companies. Since then, Activision Blizzard has worked to undermine these unionization efforts. And they did a lot of things. It dispersed Raven QA employees across separate teams, which would make it harder for them to connect to each other and further form the union. That the voting unit for the pending union election should be open to all Raven employees, thereby reducing the chance for its success. It also converted over a thousand contract and temporary QA employees to full time and gave significant raises in pay, raises that were not extended to Raven QA employees. Yeah. Um, the Game Workers Alliance, there's a tweet here from them, and they wrote this on April 22. We are so proud to announce that the NLRB ruled that our unit is eligible for election. Thank you to everyone supporting our campaign since our initial strike. Up until this very moment, time for democracy. Hashtag we are Raven. Hashtag we are GWA. Once the ballots are submitted by the deadline, the NLRB will tally the votes. A supermajority of the voting unit must vote in favor for the union for it to be officially recognized and bargaining can begin. And it goes from there. There are um, embedded in this article from The Verge is uh, information, more information about this. If you want to read all like the legal ease in there, but that's basically what it's about. Switching gears, um, I want to highlight the Rome Maintenance podcast, who, if you don't know, uh, they do talk about a lot of podcasts that highlight uh, Blizzard games across the board, really. And so they mentioned Shattered Soulstone not once but twice in their most recent, uh, that I know of, most recent weekly roundup on April 25th. So they mentioned me specifically for talking about all the union stuff and the other shenanigans going on at Activision Blizzard. And then they mentioned Shattered Soulstone itself later on in the podcast. It's a pretty short podcast. You can find them at, at Realm Maintenance, Maintenance on Twitter. I'm sure there's a website connected to that account as well if you want to hear it but if you are someone who does uh plays blizzard games beyond the diablo stuff that we're all crazy for um it's you, know, you might want to know what's going on in those games and stuff like that and they do a really good show it's been around for a long time so i'm i'm highlighting that in part because they highlighted us here they highlighted shattered soulstone so that's kind of nice of them kotaku has an article uh, it's not actually about Blizzard. Um, <laughs> switching gears a little bit here. Uh, Dragon Age 4 QA devs say... 
They're unionizing over bad pay and COVID safety. The blurb says a keyword studios contractor opens up about organizing at BioWare. This is written by Ethan Gatch on Wednesday. So I'll just read you a little bit of this. The video game industry is currently undergoing a small but unprecedented wave of developer organizing. Last week, it even reached the halls of famed RPG maker BioWare, where a group of QA contractors working on Dragon Age 4 revealed their intention to unionize. The two biggest reasons why? Bad pay and concern over a full-time return to the office while the pandemic still lingers. The unionization QA developers are employed through a global contracting services company called Keywords Studios, but work directly with the production teams at BioWare's Edmonton office. They began supporting development on Mass Effect Legendary Edition before moving to the latest Star Wars The Old Republic expansion, Legacy of the Sith. They are now working on Dragon Age 4 as part of Keywords' quote, embedded service group, which promises, quote, the expertise of an in-house team, end quote, to, quote, deliver flexible in-house outsource solutions, end quote. So their Q&A temporaries is what I'm getting from this. According to a representative for the group who wished to remain anonymous for fear of retaliation, project direction comes directly from full BioWare developers and Keyword's role in the relationship is almost exclusively administrative. The rep said that the catalyst for unionizing was a return to office announcement earlier this month Keywords allegedly told everyone they would have to return to BioWare's office in person five days a week starting May 9, despite an average of nearly 1,000 new COVID cases a day still being reported in Alberta, Canada, where they are. According to the rep, Keywords staff don't receive any paid time off, even as Alberta's health guidelines recommend 14 days of quarantine after someone tests positive for COVID. Full-time BioWare employees, meanwhile, would still have flexibility to work from home. Keywords has been criticized in the past for its COVID sick time policies and for pushing some of their employees to stay in the office when the pandemic first began in March of 2020. Quote, as this situation is still developing, we are gathering facts and will have a statement as soon as possible. A spokesperson for Keywords told Kotaku in response to a list of questions, BioWare and EA did not respond to a request for comment. So that's what's going on there. Um, they also are you know, unionizing. So here's that part of the article. A rep for the QA group said that depending on the final decision by the Alberta Labor Relations Board, which is currently reviewing its application, the final bargaining unit would consist of somewhere between 15 and 20 testers and analysts. After the review is complete on May 3rd, a vote by mail is likely to be held within two weeks, and two weeks after that, the results are likely to be ratified by the board. Quote, we are very confident that we would be able to win a union vote, the rep told Kotaku in a phone interview. In addition to COVID safety and work-from-home flexibility, another big issue is pay. They said some keywords QA analysts are being paid as little as $16.50 Canadian dollars, which is just under $13 U.S., uh, for roles where full-time BioWare staff are paid much more. The rep also said there are concerns about gender-based pay discrimination, a lack of consistent metrics used to evaluate employees, and overall transparency around pay and performance. Unionizing is one way for employees to to negotiate better and clearer terms of employment for everyone doing similar types of work. However, most employees are also extremely hostile to staff efforts to unionize, and the keywords QA staff at BioWare already feels punished. Quote, we did see what we would consider retaliatory 
retaliatory action the rep told Kotaku. This allegedly included employees receiving complaints about performance or being stripped of certain responsibilities following the decision to unionize. That's union busting. That's threatening people that want to form a union, which they, at least in the United States, have every right to do. I'm assuming that they have every right to do it in Canada or they wouldn't be trying it. Um, And it just goes on from there. So there's a little bit more in the article if you want to check that out. And everything that I talk about on the show will be linked into the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. Moving on, we have um, another article from the Washington Post. This one is titled, Ex-Blizzard, Apple Employee Files Labor Complaint Against Epic Games. That's a lot of companies all in that headline. And this is written by Shannon Liao, L-I-A-U. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Former Activision Blizzard and Apple employee uh, Cher Scarlett has filed a labor complaint with the National Labor Relations Board against Epic Games, accusing the Fortnite developer of refusing to hire her because of her labor advocacy and support of unions. That sounds kind of illegal, doesn't it? I can't prove it, but it sounds kind of illegal. Definitely sketchy at the very least. In the complaint, Scarlett makes multiple claims alleging Epic refused to hire her because she supported a labor organization which is working with the uh, is working. She is, is working with the NLRB and has been protesting work conditions. Epic Games spokesperson Elka Looks, that's their name, confirmed Scarlett did interview with the company as one of two candidates for a position as a senior front-end web developer. She said the company was aware of Scarlett's labor advocacy early on in the job hiring process and it did not impact the decision. Oh, really? (laughs) Really? Quote, this candidate's resume and application included a link to their personal website. The website details their organizing activity, and this information did not factor into our decision to proceed with interviews, Looks stated. Really? You went and looked it up, you knew about it, and all of a sudden it's, oh, well, we really liked her, but she wants a union, so too bad. Yeah, that seems really, really sketchy. In an interview with the Washington Post, where I'm reading this from, Scarlett claimed she had gone through four rounds of interviews with Epic between November and December of 2021. According to emails shared with the Post on December 8, a recruiting coordinator at Epic sent Scarlett an email with an attached request for activity form that asks for the disclosure of, quote, any efforts you take outside work that may overlap with your potential role, role at Epic, end quote. In the email, the recruiter wrote that the company, quote, would like to get a head start on this process. Scarlett filled out the request for activity form on December 8, saying she has been advising Apple members on a labor movement called Apple Together and testifying before the federal government for fair labor practices, according to the form, which was provided to the Washington Post. Two days later, Epic told her they had decided to go with another candidate. Here's from Epic, uh, the, the person with the last names looks. Quote, we offered the position to someone else who scored higher in their interviews, Looks said. We received Scarlett's request for outside activities form after we had already made a hiring decision for the position and had extended an offer to someone else. Now, hold on there. If you've already made a hiring decision to pick the other employee that or potential employee that you were looking at and you already wanted to hire them and had decided to hire them and had hired them, why did you need this stuff from the second candidate? Why would you need that? This seems weird, you know? Like, if I was at a big company and I was trying to hire people and I had two really good candidates, I'd probably send out the forms at the same time and wait for both. But it sounds like they hired somebody and then, you know, 
gathered information on this woman anyway and then told her no, which is really, really, really weird. Uh, they're trying to, uh, to continue. Um, the form did not play any role in our decision. I doubt this very highly. Candidates are asked to fill out an outside activity form over the course of the recruitment process and providing the form to a candidate is not a confirmation that an offer is forthcoming. This is all corporate speak garbage. They just didn't want to hire her because they don't want people to have unions through their epic games. That's what I think it is. But they can't just say that because that would be honest. At the time of publication, Epic Games has not received or nor reviewed the complaint. The NLRB office is currently investigating the labor complaint, and if it finds sufficient evidence, it will then issue a complaint against Epic. Scarlett, who is now a senior software engineer at Control Z, it's two words stuck together, capital control, and then capital Z's, two small E's, working on a game called Dot Big Bang, told the Post she is, quote, still heartbroken over how naive she was to believe this company was on the side of the laborers. And yeah, that sucks. They shouldn't do that to people. Scarlett also has an NLRB charge filed February 9, 2022, against Mozilla, similarly accusing the tech company of refusing to hire her due to her labor advocacy. She also has three open charges against Apple, accusing the iPhone creator of stopping attempts to gather wage data, of retaliating against workers, and creating a hostile work environment that forced her to leave in November 2021. The NLRB is investigating the Mozilla, Epic, and Apple charges. Apple and Mozilla did not respond to requests for comment, which they typically don't do. And there's a couple of comments comments here from lawyers and such not necessarily working in the case but a lot of big newspapers will find someone who is a lawyer that can explain it a little bit better without being involved in it so i'll leave you to read the rest of this uh if you want to uh and again it'll all be in the show notes there's um an article from GameSpot, and this one was printed today or printed is posted today by someone named chris perea at GameSpot, and the article is titled activision blizzard shareholders approve sale to microsoft as expected the deal isn't yet complete but the next step has been reached so i'll read you a little bit of this activision blizzard shareholders today voted on whether or not to approve the proposed acquisition of the company by microsoft and they overwhelmingly approved the deal The publisher has announced that over 98% of shares voted in favor of the deal, paving the way for the acquisition to go through, although there are still a number of hurdles to overcome before it's a reality. In an SEC filing, it was revealed the final vote was 539 million shares in favor, with just under 9 million against. Fewer than 1 million abstained from voting. There's a quote here. Today's overwhelming supportive vote by our stockholders confirms our shared belief that combined with Microsoft, we will be even better positioned to create great value for our players, even greater opportunities for our employees, and to continue our focus on becoming an inspiring example of a welcoming, respectful, and inclusive workplace, said Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek who is in line to receive a sizable golden parachute deal should he exit the company after the deal closes, as expected. Now, I think in the previous show I mentioned somebody who writes for, I want to say Bloomberg, maybe, maybe Axios. It was one of the two, can't remember the name off the top of my head, who had found something indicating that Microsoft hasn't actually talked about this golden parachute deal with Kotex. So there's kind of an up-in-the-air thing of, is he going to get something or not? I don't know, um, but that's I'm just reading you what's on this article from GameSpot. But there's a little bit more. 
While the vote has to technically be certified and then reported to the Securities and Exchange Commission, that is merely a formality at this point. But as noted above, this successful vote, which was widely believed to go as it did, does not mean Microsoft now owns Activision Blizzard. There is still a long road ahead as it will face scrutiny from regulators, including the U.S.'s Federal Trade Commission and those in other regions, including the EU and China. Those could slow the deal or halt it entirely, as we saw with NVIDIA's recent takeover attempt of ARM, which ultimately fell through. Microsoft announced its intention to acquire Blizzard games in January for $95 a share. The fact that Activision Blizzard stock stands well below that point today has resulted in some speculation that investors don't believe the deal will be successful. Whatever the case, the acquisition process now moves ahead and is expected to close by the end of June 2023, provided it all goes to plan. And then there's some other stuff going on, you know, in the article. There's that one. And I've got one from gamesindustry.biz, which I sometimes read. This one is titled, Former Blizzard Versailles Employees Win Appeal Over Redundancies That Led to Studio Closure. Employees who choose to pursue further legal action may be entitled to compensation equivalent to a minimum of six months' salary. This is written by Marie Adilsandri, I think is how you might say it. I'll read you a little bit from this. Former Blizzard Versailles employees have won their case against the late studio with a French appeals court invalidating the redundancies that led to the closure of the branch in 2020. As reported by French publication GameCult, which sounds terrible, but probably means something like GameStop or Game Industry or something. I don't speak French, so I don't know. Uh, Which was behind the in-depth investigation into the closure of the studio back in December. This means that the former Blizzard Versailles employees are potentially entitled to further compensations equivalent to a minimum of six months of salary. This would only apply to employees who choose to pursue further legal actions to contest their redundancy at a labor court. The legal battle was looking into whether Blizzard Versailles' 2020 plan, it's in French, um, if I had to guess, it has something to do with plan for the employees or something like that. There's a word in there, I don't know. So it's a PSE is the plan name. A legal framework that typically aims at limiting the number of redundancies at a company struggling financially was justified. They have to look in to see if it was justified. The court has ruled in appeal that it was not. It's worth noting that the decision to invalidate Blizzard Versailles PSE is a victory only in name as the employees who were laid off won't be able to reintegrate their function as Blizzard closed the Versailles office for good while the legal proceedings were ongoing. That's pretty sketchy, too. I remember when that happened. It was a while back, you know, but yeah, uh, they did that. The lawyer handling the case, Mehdi Boziada, told GameCult, quote, that's the hypocrisy of this law voted in 2013. You can discipline the administration and behind it the company for not handling things properly, but instead of drawing the necessary consequences and prevent the reorganization and in the, and in this case, the closure, things can just follow their course in the meantime. What this means in concrete terms is that as soon as the administration validated the redundancy plan, the company sent the dismissal letters in the following days. In other words, people get dismissed, and a few months later, a decision like the one we have today is reached, but the law at that moment won't force the company to reintegrate the former employees, so only compensations are planned. This conclusion is similar to the one the court had reached for Blizzard Versailles' first wave of redundancies in 2019, and there's a little bit more from that, so... Yeah, if you close it before the employees find out what you're doing, you know. Moving on to something good. 
a while back, oh, quite a while back, I talked about on this show James Hong, who you may know the voice of because he voiced Covetous Shen for Diablo 3 and many, many other things across a whole bunch of different franchises. He was, um, well, people were wanting him to get a, uh, like a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. And there's a whole process. I'd have to go back and look at it to find out. You can't. You have to like pay for it or get enough money for it. And there's all these other things. Um, the uh, Star Wars Holocron Twitter account said James Hong, and this was on April 23rd. James Hong, who voiced as Morrigan in Star Wars Rebels and the Elder in Star Wars Visions, will be honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on May 10. That's awesome. I think he deserves a star with all the voices he's done and all the happiness he's brought to people and just the sheer amount of characters that he's voiced i think it's good that he's getting that i don't have any further details right now but maybe when we get closer to may 10 maybe star wars holocron will post something else and it'll be easy to spot but i think it's just really really cool that he's getting that i mean who else deserves more than that you know like this guy's been doing voices forever and i did get to meet him briefly at the reaper of souls launch and he was just very nice would take pictures and move on and all that and i'm glad he's getting it it's nice to see somebody that's like doing good work and seems to be a really nice guy i actually briefly met him um at one of the blizzcons they were asking people to come up and voice different characters and they had different uh scripts out it was just like some of the things that the characters of the game diablo 3 said and he was one of the people that was judging uh, how well people were doing for that. And um, when we were all done, they picked a winner. And then all of us that had participated got a, uh, a poster and had everybody that was judging it signed. So he was one of the people that was there signing it and Mary McGlynn. And um, she signed it and talked to me a little bit and said I did a good job and you know wasn't sure if I was a professional or not. I'm like, no, no, I'm really not, but I'm trying and all this. And then handed it over to James Hong, who um, signed his name, decided to draw on the female crusader on the, the poster, uh, sort of like a very outlined like underwear thing, and then said shh and waited for her to turn around and see it. <laughs> so, I mean, he's really got a great sense of humor, and it's nice to see him highlighted in this way. And we'll have to see, like, I want to see a picture of the star when it comes out. You know, I want to see that. Some of us out there listening to the show might be going back into World of Warcraft if you've played it before or maybe are interested now. And I only know briefly about this because I wasn't completely paying attention, but there's an expansion coming with a lot of dragons and like a character that can be a dragon of some kind. And I don't know much beyond it. People are very excited. And as such, Blizzard has posted on the uh, Blizzard forums for World of Warcraft a thing called Spotlight on Fishing. Um, it's, you know, phishing scam so that you can keep your account safe and here's what to look for. And if you feel like this is something that someone's doing to you or trying to do to you in game, here's how to report it and all that kind of stuff. So if you, um, perhaps have children that are going to play this game, you might want to read over this and make sure that they don't get messed with by people that want to do phishing scams because those people are evil and, you know, got to shut them down. And finally, moving on to the specifically Diablo content, <laughs> which I say for last because it's the best, right? So yesterday, the Diablo account uh, tweeted, tune into the Infernal Race. The first ladder season will begin soon and teams from around the world have gathered to ascend. And it's it's the ladder. It's basically the ladder in Diablo 2. 
I think is what they're saying. Yeah, that's right. So there's a there's a blog post that follows it, of course. Um, Diablo 2 Resurrected Patch 2.4 Ladder Now Live, uh, posted April 29. So I'll uh, read you a little bit of this. Some of you are pro- possibly playing this and might be listening to this later as you're playing more of the ladder season. So they wrote this. Heroes of Sanctuary, the Lord of Terror welcomes you to the Diablo 2 Resurrected Patch 2.4 and Ladder Launch Update. Put your battle skills to test with the first competitive ladder season as we introduce a world of updates impacting a multitude of gameplay elements. For the first time in over a decade, we're implementing significant gameplay changes to promote new strategies for your next trip to Sanctuary. Among the changes are various updates for each class, new rune words, fresh Herodric cube recipes, mercenary reworks, and much more. Study up for using this newly penned knowledge to your advantage. We'll have demons cowering in your presence. Before you begin your quest east... You will need to make make a handful of necessary preparations, so we've assembled a guide to make sure you return to Sanctuary with ease. I've used ease a few times in here, haven't they? Uh, especially as you ease as you ease uh, as you ready yourself for battle against the forces of the Burning Hells. So the ladder details um, they started on April twenty eighth. It says in here the ladder launch represents an optional ranked competitive system of the game through a series of modes available to select from with a fresh ladder specific character. Each mode will have their own leaderboard where players compete to strategically gain experience within a limited time frame while having access to ladder specific specific content. When the ladder season ends, leaderboard rankings will reset, transitioning characters to non-ladder mode, giving players an opportunity to store their hard-earned treasured loot as a new ladder season awaits them. So there's a couple here. We have classic ladder, which is the normal version of ladder play that encompasses playing with four acts. Hardcore classic ladder, the hardcore uh, only one life version of ladder play that encompasses playing with four acts. Expansion ladder, the normal version of ladder play that encompasses playing five acts as it includes the Lord of Destruction expansion content and hardcore expansion ladder, the hardcore only one life version of ladder play that encompasses playing five acts as it includes the Lord of Destruction expansion content. There's a lot of details in here. It's already started at this point for everyone. And there's a showcase. It looks like there's English competitors, English casters, Korean competitors and Korean casters and... Some of the people that are listed in the English competitors are Mr. Lama LC, uh, Mikal, Lucky Luciano 6, Kano, BT Neanderthal 1, and Macro Bio Boy for the English ones. And then there's a whole bunch in the uh, Korean ones. Um, but I'm just going to go with the English ones for now to not make the show last forever. Um, there's balance changes in all of the classes that you can take a look at. If you haven't started yet, you're probably a little bit behind, and it just kind of depends on you know what you want to do. But this is the first Diablo 2 ladder season. As far as I don't think they did it before, or at the very least, it's the very first Diablo 2 resurrected ladder system. So... It's kind of noteworthy, and it might be interesting to see like how that plays out. And then there's Diablo Immortal, which I kind of titled the show for, because it's super exciting. <laughs> and there was a release that they did on YouTube on April 25th, and for me in California, it was at about 4 in the morning, so I was up anyway, because I'm a night owl, and I was sitting in the chat, just watching it go by as we waited for the release to be revealed, and... It was, I kind of live blogged it on Mastodon, and I'll turn it into a blog post when I get the time, but people were really excited. 
People were super excited, waiting to see what this was. Uh, there was somebody that was asking periodically, what class are you going to play in Diablo Immortal? And all these people were, you know, shouting out what class that they were going to play. There were people that were being trolls, basically. I mean, you're going to get that in any kind of chat that's not moderated too well. There was, however, one person that, um, and I don't remember the name of that person, Whatever it was they said, they said it over and over again, and some moderator out there blocked it before anybody saw whatever the heck that was. I don't know if it was like a link to their website or if it was something absolutely vile, but that's they did have one person kind of be blocked from that. The strange things I noticed is that there was essentially a little bit of a war, so to speak, between the people that want to play Diablo Immortal on a tablet or a phone and think that is the way you should do it. And uh, that group was pushing to kick out all the people in the chat that were calling for Diablo Immortal to be available on PC and at the time I was like they've said it wouldn't go on PC so I don't think that's going to happen now I didn't type anything into the chat except when um, Echo Hack came on I, I said hello and who I was because the name I use on my uh, YouTube account isn't the Shattered Soulstone or anything like that and um, he f did follow Shattered Soulstone on Twitter after that which was nice you know that kind of thing and eventually we get this like the screen previous was like you know Diablo and, and all that and it comes up and, and that sits there for a little while and there's like a countdown and we're like okay cool we're gonna get it we're gonna get this now and then there was another screen which was um, if you haven't watched it if you weren't there for that I think you could still watch the video but there was another screen that had really bright colors and like a cartoony looking countdown I'm like okay so they've got another one in there you know all right fine it'll come up soon and then there was a third one <laughs> with other colors going on and then there was just like a picture of the Diablo from Diablo Immortal with like the flames and stuff like that and kind of animated. And then uh, Wyatt Chang and uh, Pez Radar uh, came on and talked to each other about what to expect from Diablo Immortal. And lo and behold, they are allowing it on PC, as you've probably heard by now. And that just blew my mind. I could not believe they were actually doing that. Um, I didn't. My assumption was that they wanted it to be a mobile game. And. They're going to allow it for PC. I don't think that means you can... I, I'm not sure exactly how that works. I don't have a PC. I have a Mac. It's not going to be on a Mac. So, um, But I can play it on my tablet or my phone. I think I'll probably do tablet because I did that when I was in the... I think it was a closed alpha or something. But that just blew everybody's mind in the chat. That it was in fact going to be accessible on PC. And that's, um, that's huge. That's really huge. And I keep thinking back to 2018 when Sean and I were at BlizzCon and... Diablo Immortal was announced and it was playable with what little bit they had at the time, you know, in the in the arena in the um, convention center. And uh, when someone asked the you know the Q and A thing, when someone asked, "Is it going to be on PC?" and Wei Chang basically said, "No, it's not going to be on PC. This is a mobile game. We are keeping it mobile." Back in 2018, and people got very upset about that. So I'm not sure if the decision to make it available on PC is to sort of win back those players or if there was some kind of technical thing that they didn't that they couldn't put it on pc or what i don't know what went on in the background but if you're someone who plays um you know that likes playing on a pc to play your diablo games it looks like this is going to be an opportunity uh for you to have that and that's really 
Really exciting. There's some um, articles here, one from Polygon that wrote, Diablo Immortal now coming to PC along with mobile this June. Both platforms will include cross-play and cross-save. And that's something that they talked about in it, um, in the announcement, where I think um, I think it was Wyatt Chang that was saying, you could be at home playing on your tablet or your phone, playing Diablo Immortal, or no, you, you could be playing it on your PC, and then, you know, maybe you have to go somewhere, so you put, the, you know, you sort of stop the game on your PC and then you pick up your, your phone and you go play it as you go to wherever and it'll continue where you left off apparently and it's just really exciting that they can do all that. So this is a little bit from the Polygon article. Uh, yeah, both platforms will include cross-play and cross-save. So Diablo's latest entry is no longer just a mobile game. On Monday, Blizzard announced that Diablo Immortal, the mobile game originally announced in 2018, is coming to PC as well. Diablo Immortal will also feature cross-play between the two platforms, letting PC and mobile players play together. The two versions will be released on June 2nd. So this means if you have a clan and you're playing on PC and, you know, there's also a clan in Diablo Immortal apparently for you, I think, you know, like it's going to pick up. I'll read you a little more explanation here. The announcement of the new PC version came during Blizzard's Diablo Immortal livestream, where game director Wyatt Chang revealed a few new things about the game. The new PC version will support controllers, mouse, and keyboard, and even a new WASD control scheme. The game will also feature cross-save as well as cross-play, which allows players to close their PC game and instantly jump into the same character on their phones. Okay, so that's how that's going to work. The PC version of the game launching in June will technically be an open beta test, but it will include all games game content and features, and progress will carry over into the final version. Diablo Immortal will feature a similar structure to previous Diablo games, and all the fa features fans expect. The game will include a main story quest that moves through eight different zones. The story will take place between the events of Diablo 2 and Diablo 3, and of course, Deckard Cain will have a huge role to play. Um, and it's just talking about a little bit more, which we already know, so that's, you know, everyone pick that up, like, immediately. Ars Technica wrote, Diablo Immortal was built for mobile, but now it's coming to PCs, too. 30 million have pre-registered for the June 2nd launch, which now includes a PC open beta. And I don't know if they have too much more to, to say in here, um, but I'll read you a little bit of it. There's a quote here. Um, Community feedback has been imperative to the development of Immortal and has influenced the game in many ways, as you'll come to see. Blizzard wrote in an announcement post, One reoccurring piece of feedback we especially took to heart was the desire to play Immortal on PC. The PC beta will offer full cross-play and cross-progression -pro support. Um, you know, same thing we all got from the other one. Uh, when the PC beta period ends, all the progress and purchases you've made will be maintained Blizzard said. So there's that. And then we've got somebody asked Wyatt Chang on Twitter. The somebody's account is uh, Mike Dinger at zero something. I can't quite read the, the at. Uh, now that we know Diablo Immortal is coming to PC, are you guys able to answer me this? Will, will I, parentheses we, be able to use my Battle.net balance money to buy things in the Immortal shop? And he asked um, Wyatt Chang, who is Candlesan and uh, Pez Radar. And uh, Wyatt Chang responded and said, Yes, you will be able to use Battle.net Balance for any purchases you choose to make in Immortal. Which is exciting <laughs> because there is, it's free to play. It is, it's free to play, but there's also like a paid thing in there that gets you more stuff. You know, a lot of mobile games have that kind of thing going on. And 
If you happen to have a whole bunch of, like, you know, Battle.net balance money sitting around in Battle.net, the idea that you could just use it to pay for that, I guess it's not really a service, but, like, like Xbox has one. Like, there's games you can play for free on there for a temporary amount of time. You can purchase the games if you want. And then there's ones that show up every so often, and then it's like, okay, it's going to disappear now. So, you know, you, you can have, like, the Battle Pass and play these ones, or you can, you know wait until later or whatever, that kind of thing. It's not uncommon for gaming companies to have like that differentiation between what you can get based on if you're spending money or not. So with this, you could use, like if you were like someone who played a whole lot of World of Warcraft and you've got like, you know, tokens and whatever, or gold or whatever the heck, they, whatever the heck you put into the battle net by whatever means, you could use it to pay for like the paid tier in Diablo Immortal. That gives you more stuff than the not paid tier, you know. That's kind of exciting. I would not have ever expected that they were going to allow the Battle.net money to go into the, what was supposed to be a mobile-only game, you know. But there we are. There is an official uh, post on Blizzard's Diablo Immortal section of news called Making Diablo Immortal for PC. You asked and we delivered. The team is proud to announce that Diablo Immortal will launch simultaneously on mobile and in open beta on PC, complete with cross-play and cross-progression. We have gone the extra mile to preserve major elements of the iconic Di Diablo control scheme so that you can slay monsters in the comfort of your own home chair. <laughs> A brief history. The decision to develop Diablo Immortal for PC was one that the team went back and forth on for a large part of the development process. On one hand, we felt that we wouldn't be doing the title justice by releasing a game originally designed for mobile on PC. On the other hand, we wanted to make sure the game reached as many players as possible, especially our most dedicated PC fans. In the end, the deciding factor was that we knew many of you would attempt to play this game through an emulator, thus leading us towards building a better experience. So stay a while and listen as we delve into more details on the PC version of Diablo Immortal. Now, I'd like to say, as far as I can tell, there has been no mention this, that, that this will play on a Mac computer. Another one we're out of luck with, like Overwatch and... Um, I can't play Diablo 2 Resurrected on my Mac computer. I can play it on Xbox, but I can't play it there. So more and more overall, I'm feeling as though gaming companies are just like, eh, Mac, forget it. You know, that's what I think they're doing. But if you have a PC, this is going to work for you probably pretty well. Um, and it's talking about in here uh, different tools. You can use a controller if you want to. Um, stuff that I already kind of mentioned there's a little map here for your controller if you want to set it up in some way or change it. There's menu interfaces and stuff like that. They actually look pretty good. Uh, there's one in here. It says, we wanted to simultaneously ship mobile and PC to start building the cross-play MMO community together. This means that keeping the interfaces intact across both platforms was extremely important, even if slightly large for the desktop experience. While there will not be many behaviors custom-tailored for de desktop, and some menu interactions may resemble their mobile counterparts, we made sure to include hotkeys for all major functions, eliminating the need to manually click each function on the PC. Uh, there's a chat experience, of course. Uh, parting thoughts. Diablo Immortal on PC is an experiment from Blizzard. We didn't originally plan to put this on this game on desktop. But as it became a possibility, we knew we had to take the time to make it happen. 
If you're a longtime Diablo player, the result will feel a little different from other PC Diablo games, but we're extremely excited about clicking Immortals Demons Dead with your mouse, and we hope you will be too. We understand that many of you are seasoned PC veterans, and we want to arm you with familiar tools as you journey back through Sanctuary. This is a thank you letter from Blizzard, and we hope to see you all in hell when PC enters open beta in June. <laughs> This is the only company that could say we hope to see you all in hell and have us all cheer about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> in addition to this, I mentioned earlier that people were signing up to buy it or get into a beta or whatever as the case may be with Diablo Immortal. And the uh, concept as at the time was if you pre-registered, you can unlock ex exclusive cosmetics at launch. And these cosmetics are basically gear for one of your characters. So Adam Fletcher, Pez Radar, tweeted on... April 25th, we passed the 30 million global pre-registration goal, so the Haradric cosmetic set will be unlocked for new players after they complete the tutorial within the first 30 days of launch, and it is one character per account. And there is a video in here that can show you what this um, Haradrim cosmetic set will look like for each of the classes. So if you were going to base... Your decision on what class to, p to play based on how cool the set looks on different classes. There's You can look at the cosmetic trailer that's in the tweet and, you know, decide for yourself. And I'm going to end with this one. I mentioned Echo Hack. He did definitely pop into the chat in the announcement of Diablo Immortal. There were a number of people that came in and said Echo sent me. And then I later learned that he tweeted that. So he's got a huge community. And he wrote on the 29th, which is today... Thank you for 3,000 YouTube subscribers. And he's got a lovely little graphic with the Haradrim uh, set on the different characters. And it says, thank you, 3,000 subscribers, Echo Hack. And that's amazing. That's an amazing amount of subscribers on YouTube. So he's definitely doing a good thing. I've watched some of his videos. I don't have the time to watch everybody's videos, but I try when I can. And um, yeah, so that's really cool. And he's been, you know, into the Diablo Immortal thing the whole time. And so it's really nice that he's actually got this many subscribers and so many people that, you know, jumped into the announcement chat because he mentioned it and all that. I think it's really good. And that's where I'm going to end this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. I kind of went on probably for a longer time than I thought I would, but here we are. So I will close the show now. You have been listening to episode 357 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone in Diablo 3 for sure, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link in our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.